Well, good morning. Welcome to FBN this morning. Can you join me in thanking uh, the praise team for that set this morning? I also want to thank Lawrence and Troy in the back and Seth in the stream, all these people that are working today to give us that experience, and that was a powerful one. If you have a Bible, please get it and get it open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one and a seat back in front of you, hopefully, uh, if they haven't been moved around too much, and you can get there and follow along with us. Um, but that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. I want to greet you all, thank you all for being here, and uh, tell you happy Palm Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you know, but this is the start of Holy Week, and so uh, it's kind of a big deal around here. We make, we, we make a big deal of it. Um, and a couple of things that I want to just point your attention to is that our, our service times next week will be different. Okay, so in, in light of Easter being next Sunday, uh, we have three services. Um, the traditional service we had eight, and then we have uh, two services, two contemporary services at 9.30 and 11. Um, and so if you come at 10.30, uh, you'll catch the very end of the 9.30 service and then have to wait for a half hour for the next one starts. So I suppose you can still do that, uh, but I would, I would advise you to come to either 9.30 or 11 next week. And, uh, and we hope to have you there. And uh, we also have a good Friday service uh, this Friday night at 7.00. Uh, to commemorate uh, Jesus' death on the cross for us, which we're going to talk a lot about this morning. Um, and so we want you to be there. We also know that at uh, this time of year, uh, people say yes to invites more than, uh, more than any other time. And that's actually empirical, by the way. They've studied that, um, and it's, it is true. It's not just something that Adam and I say every year. Um, and so um, we have made uh, some invite cards for you. They're uh, back wherever you grabbed a bulletin. You can find some of these. Please take a bunch of those and pass them out to people who... Uh, you would love to invite and have be, join us uh, this weekend. And uh, we, we look forward to uh, what we hope will be a, a super uh, powerful and, and um, just awesome week that glorifies the Lord. And we're going to put on a lot of services for you around here to, to that end. But we've got to get through this morning first. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we launch out in this sermon. So let's pray. Father, we are incredibly grateful uh, for the chance that we have to be here this morning. God, I'm incredibly grateful to get to talk about this topic. Um, Lord, there's nothing more important to talk about than this. And so I pray that as we uh, turn our attention to your word now, that you would continue what you've already begun uh, in the groups that met the hour before this and uh, the conversations that happened in the hallways through uh, the powerful worship that we've experienced. God, you, you are already at work, and I pray that you just continue it now. Now that you'll move mightily through your word, that you will speak loudest and clearest, that you will draw people to yourself, and that you'll get the glory from all of it. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. One of the most important questions that we can ever answer in life is the question, why? If you're going to do anything that requires commitment, you're going to do anything that requires sacrifice, you're going to do anything that requires effort, you need to answer the question, why would I do that? There are plenty of times that it helps to know what you're doing. Plenty of times it helps to know how to do something, but we, but we need to answer the why question first and foremost, because those who answer the why question discover the fuel to keep going, right? We need to answer why when we ever we cast vision or build teams or change careers or start a family or take on a hobby or take on new challenges, right? We, we need to know why we're doing these things, because those who answer the why question, they never lack purpose. Those who know why it is that they're doing something, they never feel directionless. They, they can brush off mistakes easier. They can endure suffering better. They can persevere and finish well because they know why it is that they're doing what they do. Those who can't answer that question, by the way, who can't tell you why they do what they do, struggle in the exact opposite ways. They struggle to find purpose. 
They struggle to find direction. They struggle to, to, to find anything to take hold. And they're more apt to bail when things get hard because they don't even know why they're doing it. Now here at FBN, we love studying God's word. It's the foundational bedrock of this place that we're going to take our lead from this book. Right? It's going to be our authority. And so when you gather here, we're going to open it like we are this morning. Because we believe it's the only thing that, will not, that is guaranteed not to waste your time. And here's why. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. James 1 says, refers to it as a mirror. It's, it's the only book that reads you while you read it. 1 Peter 1, it says the word of the Lord is timeless and endures forever. And so if you came, if you took time out of your busy life to come here this morning, and what we offered you was a pep talk, right? what we offered you was some sort of self-help focus or something from our wisdom, there's pretty high chances that we will absolutely waste your time. But if you come here and you're exposed to and confronted with the eternal truths of God's word, you will be changed in some way. Because God will move through his word. It's why we like digging in. It's why it doesn't bother us that it's going to take us almost two years to get through two short letters at the back of the New Testament. Every year, though, around this time of year, we like to take a break from whatever our current study is to do a series leading up to Easter. And each year, the theme is similar. It's always about the exclusivity and supremacy of Jesus. More simply put, it's always about how Jesus is better and Jesus is bigger and Jesus is more important and more powerful and more crucial than anyone or anything else. In this year's series, we've titled No Other Name. And we got that title from a direct quote from Acts chapter 4, verse 12, in which Peter tells the Sanhedrin about Jesus, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. That is the what. Right? The what is that there is no other name under heaven given to us other than Jesus Christ by which, by which we must be saved. The focus on this series is the figuring out why. Why is there salvation in no one else? Why is there no other name given to us by which we must be saved? And to answer that, what we're doing is we're stacking up resumes. And we're discovering that there are indeed aspects of Jesus' resume that are unmatched and dare I even use the terms exclusive and supreme. Last week, we kicked it off by Pastor Adam telling you about how, how Jesus was sinless, that he was sinless in nature and in deed, that there was no sin in him. And no one else has ever done that, by the way, no one. That list begins and ends with him. And because of that today, what we're going to see is how his death was different than every other death that's ever occurred. And next Sunday when you come, we're going to look at how he is the only one who's ever defeated his own death. And then following week, we're going to look at the ascension, how he's the only one to defeat death forever. And the goal is that by the, by the time we get to the end of this, we want you to be able to see that when Jesus claims, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, and when the Bible claims there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, that you can see that these are not self-seeking, self-serving, grandiose claims. They are, in fact, unavoidable truths. Because there really is, just as we just sang, no one like Jesus. And why, while we are answering the why question today, today's passage is quite fitting. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to see that we who are followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to be told what our lives are to be about and why they're to be about it. And so that's just a free bonus for you, all right? And so I'm going to invite Ruth Peelman up. She's going to read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. And if you could, would you please stand with her for the reading of God's word this morning? Morning, Ruth. Good morning. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly 
perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you. You guys have a seat. I'm going to invite you to keep your Bibles open there to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to focus mostly in on those last two verses, verses 20 through 21, but I appreciate Ruth reading all the way back to verse 16 for some context. And just so you know, um, this book, 2 Corinthians, it's a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth. And when we get to this section, he's reminding them not only of the ministry that he has been given by God, but the ministry that they also have been given as followers of Jesus. It's a ministry that he calls a ministry of reconciliation. You're going to hear that word several times throughout the day, right? And we're going to end up defining it for you. But in fact, he also describes how the church should view itself. So look with me in verse 20. And he says, therefore, right? And because we have this ministry of reconciliation, here, here's, here's how we should view ourselves. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so the first truth I want to pull out for you this morning is this, that the church's main job is to be Christ's ambassadors. Now, to understand what that means, you have to understand what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is an authorized representative of a country or a kingdom. And so, uh, just to, to put it in modern context, right, the United States currently has ambassadors and embassies all over the world. And when they are called upon to speak to the leaders of those foreign nations, they, they have very clear job descriptions. They are not to represent themselves. They're not to share their opinion. They're not to make any kind of decision. They're merely to speak on behalf of of the United States government and represent our government's wishes. That's it. Which is why that analogy works so well for a follower of Jesus, that we should be Christ's ambassador. It reminds me of a joke I like to tell. From the first couple years I was in ministry, I worked a, a second job at a golf course in Cloverdale, right? So I was a pastor and I also worked at a golf course. And so whenever it would rain, uh, there was a group of guys, somebody would always make the same lame joke every single time. For some reason, it just didn't stop being funny to them, even though it was never funny, right? And so the rain would start, and they'd point up at the sky and be like, hey, Brett, you got inside connections. You can do something about this, right? And finally, I heard enough that I just start shrugging my shoulders and be like, guys, I'm in sales, not management, okay? Which isn't a perfect analogy, right? But ambassador is, right? And here's why. It's because God is the sovereign. God is on the throne. We don't, as followers of Jesus, we don't need to carry the weight of the world around. We just need to be faithful to what God wants his people and his kingdom to be about. And we're told right here what he wants it to be about. Verse 16. So now we, we don't evaluate anyone from a worldly perspective anymore. We see people as spiritual beings with souls. And no one is beyond the grace of God. We don't write anyone off. Paul knew that more than most. Why? Because verses 18 and 19 tell us that God is actively reconciling people to himself through Jesus Christ. That what God is doing is he's taking people who are far away, people who, who were separated from him, people who are enemies of him, and he's bringing them close. He's saving them. He's forgiving them of their sins and adopting them as his children. Therefore, his kingdom is a kingdom of reconciliation. 
He's saving souls and bringing people to himself. And so as his ambassadors, representing that sovereign and that kingdom, we have one message. And we don't need to confuse it and think we have three, four, five messages. No, we have one message that as his ambassadors we are to carry. And we see that in the second half of verse 20. Paul writes, we plead on Christ's behalf. Here's the message. Be reconciled to God. I need you to note the importance of that message this morning. First, we're told here that we should be pleading with others. Did you catch the language? It's not a half-hearted, apathetic offer. This is a full-throated longing. It's, it's It's a plea. This is what we desire for people because it's that important. And we see that it's the only message that we are to carry as his ambassadors. And so the question we need to ask is, is the why question, right? Why, of all the things that God could command his people to be about, right, of all the messages that he could give us to take forth, why would this be the one? Well, there are two hugely important reasons why be reconciled to God is the most important message we could ever share. And the first is this, that we all need it. Every one of us needs to be reconciled to God. And to understand why, we we need to understand the state of men and women, the state of humanity in the eyes of God, because his view matters the most. And so here's what the Bible has to say about humanity. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 23, there is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not a great start, okay? It just tells us we're, we're all equal in this, that there's not a single one of us who's righteous. We're all sinners. We all have fallen short of God's perfect standard. It gets worse from there, though, because Romans 6 tells us that the wages, right, the punishment, the cost, the penalty that we owe for that sin is death. And I've mentioned this to you before, but I don't know if you noticed, but the death rate for humanity is still hovering right there at 100%. We will die, and the reason that we will die is because of our sin. The Bible is clear about that. But it is something deeper than a physical death. There's a spiritual death that the result of sin that Ephesians 2 picks up on. Because in Ephesians 2, Paul is writing people who aren't dead yet physically. And yet he's talking about their past life before Christ. And he says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. And the result of that is we are by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And so sin doesn't just kill us physically, it, it puts us in a state of spiritual death that leaves us uh, as, as someone standing with the wrath of God stored up and waiting to be unleashed on them. And Colossians 1 says this, it gets even bleaker, that once you are alienated and hostile in your minds, that, that means towards God, you're, you're separated from God and hostile, you're actually enemies towards God, expressing your evil actions. Now there's not a bit of this that's good news. Not one bit. But it's important that we understand the gravity of our situation because too many people believe that they are a quote-unquote good person and that their good is going to outweigh their bad in the end. And they're trusting this enough that they're literally banking their entire eternity on it. There's even more people outside of that, I think an even greater number of people who know that something's wrong with them. They know they're, they're broken and, and sinful at the core. You know, that's not the terms they would use. But they can feel it. And so what they do is they turn to themselves for the solution. It's religious practices that I will do. It's ceremonies that I'll go in. It's church attendance. It's cleaning up my life. And then I'll get, I'll get things settled with God by, by some efforts that I can make. And just so we're clear, both of those responses vastly underestimate how huge the problem is. We need to grasp what these verses are telling us. Number one, that we are all sinners. There's not a one of us who is perfect. We all have the same problem. And number two, that problem is way 
bigger than we think it is. Sin is the reason that we're going to die someday. And it's also why we're spiritually dead already. And the ramifications of a spiritual death are actually bigger and more drastic than the ramifications of a physical death. That in a state of spiritual death, I cannot know, I cannot approach, and I cannot connect with God. In a state of spiritual death, I am more depraved than I would ever realize. Because of my sin and my state, I am actually hostile towards God. I'm an enemy of his. And I stand guilty before God because of my sin. And his wrath is stored up and waiting to be unleashed on me in hell for all eternity. And since I'm dead spiritually, there's not a thing I can do to save myself from that. That's the state of spiritual death. And again, we need to be clear that outside of Jesus Christ, because of our sin, that is the state of humanity. We are separated from God. We will die. There's nothing that we can do to pay the price for our sins, and therefore we are bound for hell forever. The first reason the message be reconciled to God is important is because we all need it desperately. Reconciled literally means to be brought near to, to have a relationship restored. Listen to me, we need reconciled to God more than we need anything, including your next breath. The problem couldn't be bigger. But the second reason this message is important is not just because we need it, but here's the good news. Because it's possible. It's actually possible. The bad news is really, really bad, okay? But it's not the end. Every single one of those verses that I quoted for you, they all continue, by the way. Romans chapter 3, 23, there is no one righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? What's verse 24 say? And they are justified freely by his grace. Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but it continues. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, the bleakest passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that, that, we, are, that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin, we, that the wrath of God is stored up on us, but it continues. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, has made us alive with Christ. In Colossians 1, yes, you were alienated. Yes, you were hostile. Yes, you were enemies of God. But now he has reconciled you with his physical body. The most important news that you could ever receive is that you need to be reconciled and made right with God. The greatest news that you'll ever hear is that it's possible. He made a way. Because reconciliation is possible because of the death of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, we're told that we are his ambassadors with this single message to be reconciled to God. Verse 21 tells us how. This is how. Okay, look at verse 21. He made the one... Listen to that language, the one. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And one of the things I'm hoping that you'll discover with us as we go through this series is that it's not just uh, that Jesus is the only one who accomplished these things we're highlighting, but that each one of these accomplishments by Jesus made the next one possible. And so again, last week, Adam unpacked for us how, how Jesus uh, lived a sinless life. He was spotless and sinless in every way. Hebrews 4 picks up on this. For we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way as we are. And here's the difference. Here's the distinction. Yet he was without sin. So God became a man, sending his son Jesus to take on a form so that he might experience all of the temptations and all the weaknesses that we feel, but there being one key difference, that he was the one who was righteous. 
Your, your translation may say in verse 21 that he made him who knew no sin. It might say he made the one who knew no sin, but notice all the language is singular. There aren't multiple people who knew no sin. There was one. The one who did not sin and therefore did not fall short. The one who was never dead spiritually. The one who did not owe any debt at all for his own sin because there wasn't any. And this is crucially important because that fact made his death unlike any other death that's occurred throughout history. And the key idea that's being presented here is, is a term called imputation. It's a, it's a word borrowed from banking. It literally means to put into one's account. So the idea is if you or I go to the bank tomorrow and we deposit money, then the bank imputes that value to our account. So if I put in 100 bucks, my account balance should go up $100 because that money has been imputed to me. And what we're told here is that God took Jesus Christ, who was without sin completely, and he imputed on him, he credited to him, he put on him the sins of the world. And so the punishment and the price that was due for those sins was put on Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah 53, and he says he was pierced. Why? Because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we were healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This means that when Jesus took those 39 lashes from the whip, when he had the five to seven inch metal spikes driven into his body, when he was hoisted up on the cross and suffered excruciatingly, he deserved none of that we did. He was paying our price. Every ounce of suffering on the cross, every drop of blood that was shed, being beaten, being whipped, being separated from the Father, Jesus was absorbing all of that for us. So that every time we sin, every lie we've ever told, Everything we've ever stolen, every substance that's ever been abused, every time we've been unfaithful, every time we decided that we know more than God, every prideful thought or action, every time we've tried to build ourselves up by tearing others down, every critical spirit or bad attitude, every sinful desire that we've acted on, every time we put ourselves before others, every lustful thought, every life taken, every person abused, every act of injustice, they were taken from our account and put into his and God unleashed all of his right, just anger and wrath and justice towards sin on the cross, and he brutally beat and killed his son to pay our price, to step into our place, to spare us of what we deserve. And by the way, that's still not everything. That's not all that was imputed. Look, look at verse 21 again. It starts by saying, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, but the verse continues Here's, here's what's imputed back. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we've covered what, what has been taken out of our account and imputed Jesus, but do you see what comes back? That God makes the one, the one who knew no sin, and he imputes our sin onto him. And he takes us as sinners after putting our sin on Jesus, and he gives us, he imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so now if I'm in Jesus this morning, my standing before God is the one that Jesus earned, not the one I earned. My standing before God is as if I have sinned, as if I am without sin completely, because Jesus has paid my price in full. This is remarkable. And it's something that we should never, ever, ever, ever get over, no matter how many times we've heard it. And thirdly, we need to understand that this is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Because this whole idea of reconciliation, this whole idea of imputation, it's just not possible unless someone is holy and sinless and perfect in every way. If Jesus wasn't holy and sinless and perfect in every way, what would happen is we would give Jesus our sin, he'd give us his, and we'd all be in the same boat. The problem of human sin is so big that we needed a savior who was sinless. We cannot, I cannot stress this for you enough, we cannot save ourselves. We are the problem. We can't be the solution. We also can't be saved by anything or anyone like us at all. A savior who's not sinless is not a savior at all. Any religion that presents a series of practices or beliefs or exercises or efforts to appease God actually does nothing to correct our sin problem, which is the greatest problem we face. Only Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Only Jesus has lived the sinless life. And so Jesus' death is the only substitutionary death that's ever occurred in the history of the world. Which is why the message of the church, including this one, must be, be reconciled to God. And how does this happen? Acts 4 again, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. John 14, Jesus said it himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I understand that there's a pretty modern pushback to this. Right? Because we want always, we want all beliefs, we want all religions, we want all thought processes to be seen as equal and valid and, and worthy. And I, I get the heart behind that, I really do. But the problem is they're not equal. They're just, they're just not. They adhere to different things. They, they espouse different things. And by the way, there's no one whose resume matches Jesus's. There's no one whose death could pay our price like Jesus's. And when we get hung up on this, we miss the point entirely. It's, it's, like, it's like we're drowning and, and we're going to die and someone throws us a rope to save us. And we want to say, actually, you know what, other than the rope, could you send a jet ski or a life jacket or something? We said we need to be incredibly grateful that somebody's saving us, right? Rather than getting lost in some philosophical objection to there being only one way, how about we praise God that he made a way? See, the single greatest problem that humanity faces is that you're a sinner, that sin has separated you from God. It's already killed you spiritually. It will kill you physically. And if you don't get that sin paid for, you aren't reconciled to God, then you're going to spend all eternity in hell paying the price of that sin. There is no other problem in your life greater than that one. God loves you so much that he made a way for you. He took your sin and he put it on his son, Jesus, on the cross. And if you will turn from being your own answer, and you will trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection to pay the price for your sin, God will forgive you in full. He will take Jesus' sinless, perfect state and put it on you. There is nowhere else you can find such an offer. There's nowhere, you can search the world over. There's nowhere else that you will find a love and a grace like that. You must believe in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So how do we wrap this up? Well, there's, there's two specific calls I want to lay before you, and it's based on basically where you are with Jesus this morning. And the first is this, that if you're already a believer, already a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, then, then the call today is clear. We get it right from the scripture. is just to be his ambassador. Be Christ's ambassador. The message that people can be reconciled to God has been given to us as the most important message that we can share. It is the single message that we are commanded to take in this world. So the question I have for you this morning is this. 
Are you? Are you taking that message in the world? And there's an aspect of this that requires the building of relationship. Right? There's a reason the bullhorn guy on campuses never wins any followers. Right? Because the, an aspect of being Jesus' ambassador means that we have to care about people first. And when you show someone that you care about them, when you show someone you care about their life and their body and their family, then they're more apt to listen when you tell them you care about their soul. And so, yes, we need to earn the right to communicate with others. Yes, we need to earn the right to speak into people's lives. But I'm also noticing that there is no lack of communication anymore. Right? I mean, it's 2022. We're communicating. So the question isn't whether or not you're communicating. The question is, what are you communicating? In our relationships, with our cell phones, with texting and email and social media and more, we are constantly communicating. Never has there been more opportunities for us to communicate. So the question is, what message are people hearing from you the most? Are you being Christ's ambassador? Are you being somebody else's? As people are hearing from you, and whatever facet that takes, what are they being told the loudest? That they should adopt your lifestyle? They should buy your product? They should vote like you vote. They should share your opinion regarding your favorite sports team. They should like the music that you like. They should see a cause the same way you do. They should agree with your preferences. They should see politics the way you do. They should see the pandemic the way you do. They should see social issues the way you do. Is that what they're getting loudest from you? Or are they hearing that their greatest need is to be reconciled to God? And praise his name, he's made a way for that. He's opened a way for them to have their greatest need met. The question is, whose ambassador are you being? Who are you representing with all the ways you're communicating? Secondly, if you haven't yet, then believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you came in those doors today not yet having placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to hear me. Your greatest need still has not been met. Your greatest problem still does not have a solution. And our job as ambassadors of Christ is to plead with you today, be reconciled to God. Do it today before it's too late, please. And I'm going to tell you this, if you need to ask questions, you have objections, we're here. Don't walk out and be like, I don't want them to think that I believe different than them, I'm just going to sneak out the back door. But that's what we're here for. Ask us. Come find us. We, we, we love to have those conversations. But I'm also betting there might just be somebody here today who just needs to take that step of surrender. It's time that you just say, I, I, I believe, Lord. I believe I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to take over my life. Yeah, that's you. I, I want to close this out by praying for you now. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And again, there's two people that I want to, two groups of people that I specifically want to pray for this morning. And the first is those who are in Jesus, right, and who have received this, this calling, this command to be his ambassadors. And I'm wondering if there are things that we are representing more than we're representing Jesus. I wonder if there are causes that we've taken more loudly than we've taken up his. I wonder if there are messages that we're sharing more fervently than we are sharing his. And it's not that those things are bad or else we wouldn't be excited about them. It's just that they're not the most important message that we've been given. And so I'm going to pray for us now. Lord, I ask 
that your believers would take up this mantle to be your ambassadors. That we would understand the calling, that it is not on us to spread our opinion to this world. It's not on us to get everyone to agree with us on everything. It's on us to represent you. You've called us to be faithful to the message, to be reconciled to God. You've called on us to point people to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so I pray for the followers of Jesus in this room who have let another message become louder, who have given away their witness to something lesser, who are sharing something with greater fervency than the greatest message that we could share. May we repent of that today, Lord. May we take seriously this call to be your ambassador. And then, Lord, I want to pray for the one or the many who walked in this room today not having their sins covered for. They walked in in a state of spiritual death. They walked in hostile towards you. They walked in separated from you. But, Lord, they've heard how you've made a way. They've heard this morning how you sent your son to to take on our form, to live the sinless life that we could not, to die and suffer brutally on the cross, to pay our price, to have our sin imputed on him so that we could have his righteousness before you. So Lord, I pray that right now would be the moment of salvation, that right now would be the moment of surrender for them, that they would say, Lord, yes, please, I believe recognize that I'm a sinner, recognize that I need you. Please forgive me and take over my life. Lord, save their souls and then help us as a church to find them, to to celebrate that with them this morning, to understand how hugely important it is that they have just crossed from death to life. They've just crossed from separated to you to being reconciled to you. They've crossed from being enemies of yours to being your children. Lord, in this week to come, as we prepare for Good Friday, as we prepare for Easter, would you put people on our hearts, people on our minds that need that message? Would we be faithful? Would we be bold to be your ambassadors, to invite, to share, to bring next week? And may you do what your kingdom has always done. May you keep reconciling people to yourself through Jesus Christ. And we ask this all in his powerful and awesome and mighty and wondrous name.